Hello, and welcome back now to this seventh episode of the Miramichi Historical Linkages Podcast. Um, I'm Sean McCarthy, and I'm joined today by Tasha Smith and Sarah Ward. Uh, and so uh, we've been we've been speaking the last uh, well last week and again this week about, about oral traditions and oral histories. Um, and last week we talked a little bit about how you know modern technology and uh, and oral tradition are sort of are sort of kind of meeting and, and creating new opportunities. And again, uh, we encourage you if you haven't done it now since last week. Uh, it, to reach out, and if you do know about other other uh, projects like the ones that Tasha talked about uh, last week, uh, to let us know because we'd be really interested to hear more about them. Um, and uh, yeah, and like I say, as always, if you're inter- if you have more interest, yeah, if you have any other interests uh, in the work that we're doing and want to find out more or have stories of your own that you would like to share, uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, this week we'll be speaking a little bit more about uh, one story that I've that I found multiple versions of, kind of a famous ghost story from the area. Again, very appropriate for us because we're recording this on the twenty eighth of October, but you're listening to it sometime in mid to late November. So you're thinking, you know, this is very this is kind of passe for you, but very very appropriate for us. Um, so that's it. Um, but yeah, so we'll be talking a little bit about the Dungarvan Hooper today, but also setting up for our next episode, uh, where Judy Bowman will be visiting with us, uh, who has a great deal of experience uh, in in uh, recording and uh, sharing the the, the stories uh, of of others, uh, and so we're really anxious to speak with her. So um, yeah, so the Dungarvan Hooper. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. Um, so maybe, uh, since I've kind of come up against it a few times now in the research that I've, that, that I've been doing, uh, oh, Allison. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Nice to see nice you. Nice to see all of you. My meeting just finished, so jumping in. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so basically I mean, we're, we're talking about, um, we've been talking about oral traditions and we're going to talk a little bit about the Dungarvan Hooper and, and set up for our, for our interview with Judy, uh, next week. So, um, very good. Very good. So, yeah. So like I say, I mean, I've come across this story a couple of different times, a couple of different ways, but I'm curious to see, um, maybe, uh, from my colleagues here, or, uh, have you ever come across? You know what I mean? The story uh, of the Dungarvan Hooper, the, the the screaming ghost of the Southwest Miramichi. You know what? I was actually going to ask you if you could give us a like campfire version of this story, <laughs> because I have spent my life in Miramichi. And for the vast majority of my life, every time somebody would say the Dungarvan Hooper, I would just go, oh, yeah. And I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) I sincerely spent years just being like, just play it cool. So I am wondering, Sean, if you would do us the honors to give us a campfire version of the Dungarvan Hooper story. So mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. Allie has been in the digital room for less than three minutes. 
And has already put me on the spot. There you go. That's it. So, you know, that's it. That's uh, this is lovely. You keep that's very much in evidence. And I do, and I don't know what you expect. Uh, there you go. I am the author of my own fate, folks. Uh, that's it. That's it. All right. So, um, Again, so there are so many different versions of this story. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, – I could go into the, the, the kind of the whole thing uh, on any one version, but I think what I'll do is I'll kind of give some little kind of snippets of, of different versions that I've heard uh, since we started. So the classic version of the Dungarvan Hooper, as I understand it, uh, takes place in a lumber camp. So as early as the 1850s, there were stories about a haunted lumber camp somewhere in the southwest Miramichi that were being published in the newspapers – uh, and the stories kind of surround uh, a young cook, maybe a cookie. So somebody that was uh, either chiefly involved for food preparation in the camps or maybe was assisting the person that was. And uh, unfortunately, this young man, uh, some versions say his name was Peter Ryan. Some say his name was Peter Garvin. Uh, he passed away. He died under mysterious circumstances uh, one one day. And suspicion has sort of fallen on the boss that he had been killed for his money. Um, so in the famous uh, in the famous poem in 1912 by by Michael Whalen, uh, there's the line from the belt around his waist, all his money been misplaced, which made the men suspect some serious wrong. Was it murder, cold and dread, that befell the fair young dead, where the dark and deep Dungarvan rolls along? So, again, there's this idea that the cook was killed uh, for his money. And he was buried. Unfortunately, he could not be buried uh, in, the, in, the, in the settlement. There was a snowstorm, so he was buried near uh, the Hooper Spring. Uh, I don't believe it was the Hooper Spring before... This, the events that I'm actually describing. Uh, otherwise, it would be incredibly ironic or very appropriate, one or the other. Uh, so that, that's it. Uh, so he, he was buried there. And of course, there's the, 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 the story goes that the screams that you hear are really the, the cook's hoop. So the cook was known to kind of hoop uh, in the woods in order to call the men in from, uh, from, their, from their labors. There's every evening to let them know, because of course nobody was kind of keeping track of time. But when supper was ready, he would hoop and the men would come in. That was a way of, of, of kind of uh, communicating in the woods. So the hoops are the cook's hoops. Uh, and he's hooping because of course there's, uh, he's been murdered. And buried here and so on and so forth. The story goes, and I'd really like to learn more about it, and apparently there is a, there is a church register uh, that confirms this, that Father Edward S. Murdoch uh, went up and blessed the grave, uh, and they say that after that the, 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 the screams stopped. So who knows, but apparently there is, there is some documentary evidence that I haven't seen that I have heard about. So uh, what you're saying is we should and- bring a Ouija board... And try to Maybe. summon the Dungarvan Hooper and ask him for an interview for our podcast. I mean, if you can do that, Allie, I mean, more power to you. Nope. Uh, that's nope. it. I won't be doing that. Nope. But, yeah. So, but yeah, but I mean, I, this this was the version that you know that uh, that that's kind of best known, uh, and that yeah. But of course, I think you know a lot of other people will say. Um, 
And again, I think there's probably some logic behind that, that, you know, you, you have a community, uh, uh, an early settler community, especially in the 1850s, you, you have a lot of people that are, you know, either first or second generation uh, settlers in this community. And maybe you're not familiar with, you know, um, the woods of the Miramichi and the Southwest Miramichi as maybe we are today and the animals that are resident therein. Um, and, you know, the nocturnal cries that they may make. And of course, like I say, if you're coming from a culture that maybe understands, you know, things like the banshee uh, and other and other kind of or you know the kelpie or shape shifting, you know, uh, entities or whatever, you know, maybe it may be a small step to go from you know uh, from you know this strange sound in the woods to it being a ghost, especially of course because also. Um, Another article that I heard about but I haven't read uh, talks about a lot of mysterious deaths that happened uh, in the lumber camps in those years. So, you know, again, as, as, as they kind of talked about, you know, all these, all these gentlemen are all up, all up in the woods all winter. If somebody dies, you know what I mean, and somebody maybe is the victim of foul play, I mean, who's to know, right? And so, you know, and families may suspect that when they, you know, so... Again, all these kind of things coming together, you know, suspected foul play in the deaths of some people, you know, in the in the, in the lumber camps, strange sounds in the woods, you know, and I mean, it, it, it may be only a couple of steps to go uh, to, you know, somebody was murdered, right. their ghost is crying out in the woods, uh, but who knows? But we also see parallels between that and the headless nun. Sure. Right? Like... I don't know that it always fascinated me with Miramichi how just how well we have like hooked into this like folklore of these hauntings that happen in Miramichi because I remember growing up and that was always like a topic of conversation that was just casually brought up it was like oh yeah did you know there's a haunting over down there there's another one in the woods down there and some nun doesn't have a head in that forest like it was just always something that was like a big part of Miramichi. And it, across all cultures, too. It's never been something that was just strictly one culture. When you think about already just between the Whooper and uh, the Headless Nun. So, because I'm fairly new to both of them, or I didn't grow up in the Miramichi area, um, what is the Headless Nun folklore pertain to? Is that more of like a Acadian? Sean. 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 Hey, Sean. <laughs> Could you do us a favor real quick, Sean? <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll portray the headless nut over here. I'll just Yeah, hide my yeah, head. right, 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 right. Right, I'll right, right. Out, you know. I'll act out the story. So Sean and I, fun fact, used to uh, do a, uh, a nighttime tour at French Fort Cove uh, along with a few other actors, and we would give a tour all the way through French Fort Cove and tell the story of the headless nun and costumes and the whole shebang. And it was a lot of fun. And now he's going to tell you the story of the headless nun. So that tour is actually going to come back and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be relaunched again at 23. Um, so I said it here first, but you may not have heard it here uh, before that time. Um, Who's the nun, so, Sean? Do I need uh, to come back? <laughs> Well, listen, like I say, if you're offering. I've that was offering. one of the most pleasant experiences yeah. of my I had so much fun doing that tour. 
I had such a wonderful time scaring people. I'd love I, to. It was fun, again. honestly, because you could see them through the costume. It's like a, the costume of the headless nun was essentially a a black nun garb that sat on top of my head that acted as the shoulders and then draped down. But I could see just barely, to be clear. So that people understand why I didn't run very quickly when I was in that costume. But you could you could see a little bit. But yeah, it just kind of like sat on my head and it was just and it was always fun to see people's reactions. But anyway. Did you go through the trails? Yeah. There? Yeah, it was really wow. cool. I heard about I don't I've never seen it because I know my friend there, Josh used to be one of the actors, I think. Josh Holland. She was, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I highly recommend anybody listening to this right now to check it out if it's coming back. That's fantastic news. Because that was, yeah, that was awesome. And we got to scare people in real time, finding out that they had seen me run around in the costume and they thought I was the real headless nun, and started a rumor around town that they had seen the headless nun and she was back. And then the rumor got to my mother, and my mother told me when it happened and I was like that was absolutely me in costume (laughs) (laughs) and I apologized (laughs) when we tell that story on the tour we leave that last part out (laughs) you You may have heard there were modern sightings people saw that the nun came back (laughs) rumor is the nun is back and then I'll just run in the background there you go. I guess one of, the, one of the landmarks is gone now with the tower. I think that was where the headless nun ran around. People seen it near the tower. That's where the headless nun was. Well, and there's the story too. If you see her down by the water, because she wants you to, she wants you to help her. I, I won't jump to that. Sean, go ahead. Tell us that wonderful, no, incredible no. story. I mean, that's 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 fine. <laughs> you, I'm sure you could have told it just as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, basically the, the the headless nun you know story, the legend of the headless nun comes out of the 1750s, um, around 1758. Now it's set, I guess, at that time. The first versions of it don't come until the 19th century, so that's it. Whether or not there was uh, a community of religious sisters here at that time, who's to know? There is no record of it. But you know, again, this is the, this is the way. So it's said that Sister Marie in Canoe. Um, was resident here in the community in those years, uh, uh, in the seventeen, the late seventeen fifties, and that uh, fearing uh, an attack by the British um, after after they had destroyed the settlement uh, downriver at, at Burnt Church, burning the church uh, uh, when they did it in September of seventeen fifty eight, um, that valuables were gathered together. Among these may have been and the the crucifix and the chalice from that chapel uh, that had been burned, uh, and they were entrusted to her. Uh, they were buried in the cove along with other valuables from the community, uh, and word of this came to. Either some versions say a mad trapper, some versions say it was a pair of leprous sailors who had escaped from a wrecked ship in Beta Vin. Um, and one night, uh, as she was returning home across the Crowbrook Bridge, she was set upon by these attackers. Um, they uh, attempted to extort the treasure's location from her. She refused, and in a fit of rage, they murdered her by by cutting off her head. Her head was left uh, 
fell into the into Crow Brook. Her body was left on the bridge. Bridge was found the next day. It was sent back to France for burial, but her head was never recovered. And of course, the, the story goes that to this day, uh, the headless ghost of Sister Marie the Incanu walks uh, French Fort Cove, uh, still protecting the valuables of her uh, people and searching for the head that will one day make her body whole and allow her to rest in peace. I remember when people would always say, you got to be careful because if she, if she ever asks you to go into the water to help find her head, you're in trouble either way. And like, it was like, well, that's not very promising, but they were basically like either you help her and she drowns you or you don't help her and she's going to try to kill you. And it was like, <laughs> what a great story well, to tell go. a 10 year old. You lose, lose situation. That's yeah. It's an awful yeah. trickery. It means you want to avoid the, the situation, but then you go to French for go and you know, can't help it. Can I just pretend that I can't hear her? Yeah. Oh, I can't hear you. I've got music. Yeah. Sorry. Whatever works. Whatever keeps you alive and safe. If you got to lie to that nun, lie to that nun. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's the new tagline for this episode. If you got to lie to a nun, lie to a nun. <laughs> Anyways, this will yes, be our indeed. last episode. <laughs> there are the rails, and we are well off them now. We have... There's no coming back from this. That's it. But yeah, you know, a, a lot of a lot of interesting, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah, kind of ghost story, oral traditions um, uh, from from the community, and again, a lot of them that you know, uh, those are the two that we kind of know best. But of course, uh, you know, or maybe that the locals know best. Uh, but I think there are quite a few, quite a few other ghost stories that I mean I've come across yeah. as you know in, in in research, and I'm sure you know other folk stories that uh, that you all have as well. Um, but there's a really rich folk tradition here, um, but one that maybe be that, that, that's I think sometimes acknowledged but underappreciated. Yeah, I'd be curious to go more into just doing some some more research, I guess, uh, in our style of interviewing people, because I do find that a lot of these stories I, I'm not finding in books. I'm not finding on internet pages. Right. Um, cause I, like I have these like vague memories of, of people telling me these stories about around me or machine, uh, you know, the hauntings on Middle Island or the ghosts of St. Michael's and like all these things. And I'm like, you can't really find a whole lot online because a lot of it is people talking to each other, right? Which again is why I love this project so much because we're bringing that importance back to like those interviews, you know, or what we're calling interviews, but can flat out just be conversations with your family members, <laughs> Like, it's Halloween time right now while we're recording. <laughs> Sit down with your family, ask them for some spooky stories, my friends, and then send them to me because I love to hear them. 
Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm you know, if we're, we're going to get really metaphysical about this, I mean, you know, that uh, maybe that's you know, uh, maybe that's kind of what gives these uh, these uh, these restless spirits some you know some sense of uh, agency out there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? As we tell these stories and we we we, we make people aware of of some of the things that they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. Um, you know, that's yeah. I think that's uh, maybe like I say, maybe that's a little too kind of above what we talk about here normally, but you know, um, that's it. And I do uh, think there was so much tragedy throughout the years, right? In, in Miramichi. And I know that in, uh, I guess again, in folklore, a big part of spirits being in unrest, a state of unrest is not having had a proper burial, not having had a gravestone, which is something that you find a lot in Miramichi. You know, that's mm. that's the case pretty much all over Miramichi because of a series of different things that have happened over the years here. So it is interesting that the place that has so many of those situations also has so many ghost stories related to it. And you kind of have to wonder if it's like, we came up with these stories because we know there's a lot of unmarked graves and undiscovered grave sites or is it the other way around? <laughs> it's a spoon. I was thinking of what my grandfather said to me. I just seen him over the weekend or for a little get together. And he, he said, I got to get going because I have to go before it gets dark. Because if I travel at night and I get killed, my soul will wander forever lost in the dark. And I'm always like, Papa, don't say that. But like, I don't know where comes from. But he says it all the time really? when he's when we're traveling, passing through. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's just specific to the Mi'kmaq community. If it's just my Papa being my crazy Papa, <laughs> which I love. But it's funny you brought that up because I was just thinking about that at the same time. I was like, oh, I'm getting chills. That's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting because uh, Joe was just talking to the group of young people. Right? This week, and uh, he was telling them, like uh, he says, uh, how we raise our children is by telling them to come back when the, st- the sun starts to fade in the yard, because if they're out there in the dark, then their soul get lost, and uh, then they get lost in their lives. So you have to be careful not to be out uh, wandering in the dark. So even in you know, life, of- even in life, yeah. there's that theory of yeah. if you're out in the dark, you can lose your soul and lose your way kind of thing. That's re- I'd never heard of that. Yeah. So, but anyway, because I, I know, I know my novel culture is what they say that when we were young, they say, so when the sun goes down, you go inside, yeah. you know, you go inside, you know, it's time for bed, whatever. I don't know if it was a way of getting us into the house and going to sleep, you know, <laughs> and keeping us, you know, where we're safe right. instead of wandering the roads or not. But if you think about it now that, young this generation i find that the young people um they seem to want to be out there in the dark and at nighttime yeah and lots of not good things happen in the dark right <laughs> yeah right yeah what's the old say nothing good happens after 2 a.m <laughs> <laughs> i'm just snoring at that time <laughs> uh. That's interesting, so I think that's- though, that Sarah and Tasha, you guys have both yeah. had the same thing being 
told to you from two completely like Sarah, you were saying this was when you were little, when you were back home versus Tasha being out here, like from two different areas, two completely different places, both being told, you know, you lose your soul. If it's out of the dark, like you can't, can't be risking that. It's really interesting. It gives me more chills. Oh my goodness. I definitely don't listen to my papa and all those little sayings. Oh. Right. I'm going to start boarding up my windows as soon as the sun goes down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's up there anymore. You. Spencer St. Margaret's. <laughs> you can't tell if it's a bug or a vampire coming to get you. They're so big. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I did miss, I guess, the beginning here where uh, this was going to be just about the dead government Hooper. <laughs> and then uh, I showed up. No, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's great. Like I say, you know what I mean? It, it's, a, it's interesting, like I say, to kind of delve into some of these stories. And I think, you know, certainly the first, the first of many, um, you know, because again, I mean, I, I was in Fredericton all last week and I, you know, found all of these, uh, I guess the last couple of days, uh, all this week. Um, and, um, Found a book from Colorado from 1902 uh, that talked about the similarities between, um, you know, kind of stories across cultures that kind of appear where, you know, story elements kind of would, would appear in, in different culture stories. These, uh, yeah, so like I say, kind of from Europe into, into like North America. Um, so I'll... That's, I'm sure that'll be something that I'll be sharing with you in the weeks to come, and hopefully something that we'll all be sharing with you, uh, you know, in uh, you know in, in in months time. You know, the, the, that's it. So yeah, it's yeah, I, I think that's quite something that I think all of us as uh, you know are kind of privy to certain certain understandings. Certain, I mean, I hesitate to say truths, but maybe truths. You know, and I mean, you know, as uh, across across all of our cultures and are aware of certain things and maybe have those things kind of given to us is you know in in you know kind of enraptured uh, in in folklore yeah i mean i know that i've been uh i've been reading a whole lot of different books uh about different parts of folklore and about uh you know i even came upon things like a ghost ship uh, things like that, mm. that I'm just like, it's all these things that I, I remember when we would have those like spooky stories around a campfire, we would tell, but I also remember at the time thinking that that was just everybody around the world was hearing the same stories around the campfire, right? Because when you're, when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, it feels like what you know is what everybody else in the entire world must know. That has to be a shared experience, right? <laughs> so it's it's really fun now going into funny the roots of these stories that I heard around campfires. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, that's another, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to, because I know Sean and I, we had talked a little bit about werewolves uh, yeah. and kind of their origin and this like, a werewolf craze that happened in France in the 1700s. Um, so I, I, I'll save that for another, another day, another uh, episode, but definitely interesting things that are kind of coming up when I'm looking into that side of the spiritual Acadian stories. Werewolves. You kind of remind me of 
from my culture, there's a lot of stories pertaining to skinwalkers. Yeah. 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 Which I haven't found in the Acadian like folklore at all, but like I'm, I'm, uh, aware of the stories of like Skidwalker Ranch and things like that. Like these are all things that on my own, because I have such a fascination with, with this stuff to begin with, where I love to find the root of these stories. Like what, what made us all, all of a sudden decide that this thing is happening or this like supernatural event keeps occurring. Is it a bunch of people lying or are we seeing things or but skinwalkers were one of them that I haven't stumbled upon yet in Acadian uh, folklore. But maybe I'll dig a little bit. That's, yeah. And it's funny you guys are bringing up um, a werewolf right now because I went to go pick up my husband from work. And he's a werewolf? And, you know, house signs. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I can't really see that online. Do <laughs> you know how they have signs at different businesses that say things? Well, this business had a joke and it was um, if you teach a werewolf to meditate, or if you teach a wolf to meditate, you have an a werewolf. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cute. And then you start talking about werewolves, and he's like, and I'm a wear. And I'm like, that's so weird. That's like the whole joke right that's there. The whole thing. <laughs> I just became a werewolf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like that, after reading that sign. Oh, we've seen one. And it was a little bit off topic. I'm sorry, but that business has really funny little liners. He's like, if you eat, don't elite, don't eat aluminum or you'll sheet metal. It's like, that's funny. Uh (laughs) My husband's a sheet metal worker. So I was like, that's hilarious. That is good. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I'm getting off topic. We should get back to introduce Judy. Yes, indeed. Um, so this is going to kind of draw us to a close here today, uh, but next week, um, do please uh, join us again uh, for um, our t- our conversation with Judy Bowman. And Sarah, would you mind maybe kind of uh, giving a bit of uh, an introduction to Judy, because I think you've probably known her longer than anybody else around the table. Uh, so yeah, so maybe tell us a little bit about, about her and her background and uh, what, uh, yeah, what you'll... Uh, maybe bringing to us next week. Um, I met Judy a couple years back um, when I was taking courses at um, with UMB um, when the university program was still on the membership, and we became friends, and uh, we've been in contact with each other ever since then, and we kind of became family, I guess, and we go back and forth. Um, she's done a lot of work in her own. Uh, research the way she does research and she's a writer uh she published a couple of uh books where she wrote some stories and she actually got my husband and i's story in one of her books there and uh, she's been promoting writers she's promoting actually the miramichi too the writers of the miramichi so um we also did research together um doing stories with um covering the indigenous uh, veterans. It's where I worked with her. And then she also did stories of uh, veterans on the Miramichi. And she worked for the seniors' home, so she got to know some of the elderly community here. So she has stories from them too. So both, you know, all, all 
cultures, I guess, she worked with there. And so that's how I know her, and that's and that's what she does. She says her passion is writing, um, collecting stories, uh, talking to people, um, interrogate me now and then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's she's a very uh, knowledgeable woman of the Miramichi, and she she is originally from Miramichi, but she lived away and she moved back here. So that's that's Judy for you. And she, when she comes in, she'll to, to our podcast. She will tell us more about herself and. I share with us some stories that uh, she has uh, uncovered on the Miramichi. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So we'll only have to wait a matter of minutes, ladies and gentlemen, to get to that, but you're going to have to wait another week. Uh, So, uh, but we will, we will see you uh, then. Any last words before we kind of close up everyone? Okie dokie. Well, uh, we will uh, see you again next week. And thank you very much for spending some time with us today. If you have any stories of your own, do please leave them uh, below. Uh, and if you'd like us, if you'd like to reach out to us, be sure to do so at linkproject.bobersisland.ca. Uh, so, yeah, uh, all the best to all of you. We will see you again next week. <laughs>